0: In today's teaching, we've been working through the Sermon on the Mount, and Jesus returns again to the topic of prayer. Earlier in this teaching, he's taught on what we know as the Lord's Prayer, this prayer that we use every week, but he comes back to it. And I think he comes back to it because Jesus recognizes that prayer is critical in the life of the disciple. That prayer is a description of our relationship, the way we interact with who God is and what he does. Jesus has talked previously about who's blessed, that the poor are blessed, that the meek are blessed, that those who mourn are comforted. And he's shaped and spoken of an upside-down kingdom and also an invitation to that. And then he's shaped and talked about what it looks like to have a righteousness that exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, a righteousness that's shaped and that affects our interior heart. He's talked about where we put our trust and where we put our confidence, if it's in wealth, Or maybe it's using condemnation engineering to try and put others down. Ways we can avoid anxiety and deal with wealth. We realize that this call that Jesus has on us, this call that Jesus gives to us, this invitation that Jesus gives is hard. It's a challenging life that he calls us to. And so I think one of the reasons he returns so often to prayer Is because he recognizes that this kind of life of following him, this kind of life of trust and being free from anxiety only comes through prayer. And prayer is this relationship that we have, God, and it's sustained by the life of prayer, the life we see in Jesus. And so as we talk about prayer and we read this passage that Bobby Joe just read for us a few minutes ago, in some ways it's an easy passage to understand. It's not complicated. There's not big words in it. It doesn't follow a complex argument. It's rather simple. But on the other hand, as we hear those words, maybe there's common questions we have that come up about prayer. Now, what do we do with prayers that are unanswered? Why are we asking God if he already knows what we need? Those kinds of questions that come up, and I'm going to be up for, We're not going to really address those questions. We're not going to come to those. But what I want us to do is consider Are those really the right questions to be asking? Now, there have been books written on these and all kinds of ways to answer it, and I don't think any of those are truly satisfying answers. But I think what Jesus does in part with this teaching here is to encourage us to ask a different question when it comes to prayer. So let's look at what Jesus has to say. So, Matthew chapter 7, beginning at verse 7. He says, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. And he goes on, for everyone who asks, receive. The one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. And so what's Jesus getting at? Jesus is getting at what prayer looks like. And we recognize that prayer has many different components. And I remember early, when I was just in the military in my first couple years, and was attending Bible studies, and I was taught a couple... Kind of formulas or, maybe not formulas the right word, structures for prayer. And maybe you learn what those. some people use acts or cats. And it's, you know, adoration and confession and thanksgiving and supplication. And so there's these elements, these components of prayer where we praise God, where we confess our sins before God, where we give God thanksgiving. And then supplication, which is a fancy word just for asking. Sometimes we hear the word petition. We also recognize prayer involves listening. The prayer is not simply us talking the whole time. But a prayer is a conversation, entering into a relationship with God. Is any relationship really a good relationship if one person does all the talking? And so we recognize that prayer has many different things. And sometimes I know I can get caught up as a pastor making sure you need to have a well-rounded prayer life. You need to make sure you're including all those parts. And sometimes how that can come across is that the petition, the asking God is something less than it. Maybe you do too much of it. Maybe you've heard sermons. Maybe you've heard read Bible studies. you heard somebody on the radio say, oh, all we ever do in prayer is ask, ask, ask. And you need to do less of that. Well, I would say Jesus here is saying, no, this is an important part of prayer. That we shouldn't write it off. Yes, we have to do all those other things. But asking is important. And he tells us right here. He says, ask. I mean, if somebody ever says to you, well, you know, you shouldn't be asking God for so much, you say, it's what Jesus tells me to do. Jesus says, ask. And you kind of get this sense of urgency where he says, ask and it will be given to you. And there's this kind of like, well, there's this beginning stages of just asking. And then there's seeking. And that requires a little more effort, a little more urgency, right? You're maybe asking somebody and that implies maybe there's somebody right there and you can just ask them for something, seeking. You're going and you're looking and you're trying to find. And then there's the knocking. How many people like people knocking on their doors? Do people do that anymore? I mean, salespeople, I remember, I mean, for a year when we had our first house in Texas and we would get salespeople at the door knocking on the doors and trying to sell us things or tell us about things. And it's one of those things, I mean, and granted, those people, it it was annoying. You never liked the knock on the door, like, who wants to. But I also think, like, there was a certain amount of courage, a certain amount of boldness that it took to knock on somebody's door. And so as Jesus is speaking here and he's saying, ask, seek, knock, he's implying there's this sense of urgency. Now we're getting to the point where we're not just asking up, it's like we're going and we're knocking on the door. We're putting ourselves out there, we're going into and we're doing, and so there's this sense of urgency we see the words, he says, for everyone who asks, receives the one who seeks, finds, and to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. So question for you, have all your prayers been answered? Okay, so one, we can just go from experience to know that Jesus isn't telling us that we get whatever we ask for. We can find that in other teachings of his. Jesus at the end of his life, he's praying before the Father and he's saying, not my will, but your will. And so... We understand that what Jesus is not suggesting here is that we just get whatever we ask. We also realize that a wise parent, which is how he describes God later on, doesn't just give a kid something because they ask. How would that work out for you if every time your child or your grandchild asked you for something, you just gave it to them? Wouldn't go so well, would it? And so God knows and he understands this. And so we ask him, so what is Jesus saying here when he's talking about this? And he goes on and he says, which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? And he's simply looking at his audience, the people listening there and saying, okay, your child comes to you and says, dad, can I have some bread? And you hand him a rock. And Jesus are any of you going to do that? Now there might be one or two mean dads out there that would do that. But generally speaking, he's saying, this is not how... A father responds, he says, or if he asks for a fish, are you going to give him a snake? So Jesus is kind of playing and getting the audience, his listeners, these disciples that have gathered around him to enter into the story. And he's saying, how do you treat your children? I think I'm asking for fish. Do you hand them a snake instead? He says, no. He says, if you then, though you are evil, which is kind of a harsh statement to the people listening, right? He was like, well, you know how to do it. I mean, you are evil, but you, you at least know how to give good things to your kids, right? He says, goes on, he says, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? And it's a simple comparison that we can all relate to and understand. That parents, if they're able, what do they do? They give good gifts to their kids. And Jesus is assuming a healthy, loving parent here, and he's asking, what would you do? He says, if this is the way we are. If this is the way human parents are, then imagine how much more. And it's this argument from lesser to greater to say, if we do that, if we're not going to give our children something horrible when they ask for something good, how much more is God not going to do the same thing? And this is the heart of what Jesus is getting at, that our prayers are anchored in God's character. And when we're getting to prayers, we're looking, we're saying, does God care about my prayers? Because that's sometimes the question we have is when we go and we're praying and we're wondering, does God really care about this? Will God hear my prayers? Will God answer them? And Jesus is saying, He's a good and loving God who knows how to give good gifts. So ask him. This is what he's getting at. One writer said it's easier to make people feel guilty about not praying than to motivate them to pray. Say that again. He said, sometimes it's easier to make people feel guilty about not praying than it is to motivate them to pray. And I get that. I mean, as a preacher, I could work, not put a whole lot of effort into making you feel guilty about your lack of prayer life. Because I know how easy it is for me to feel guilty about my lack of, you know, my struggles in my prayer life. But... That's really not what we're designed to do. We're not simply here to like, like, oh, we all stink at praying. But the goal is what? To help us be better at it, to encourage us, to motivate us to pray. And so that's what Jesus is getting at is how do we motivate people to pray? How do we encourage us? And so like the way N.T. Wright says it, where he says, but for most of us, the problem is not that we are too eager to ask for the wrong things. The problem is we are not eager enough to ask for the right things. He's getting at this heart of like, we just sometimes, our problem is, we just don't ask. For whatever reason, and there may be different reasons, we get to it. And so Jesus is continuing on, he's saying, you have a good and a gracious and a loving God, so go ahead and ask him. And so in one sense, we could end the prayer right here, right? We could end the sermon right here. But that prayer is not going to be answered today. So, we're going to go on because I want us to look at a little bit more about what's going on, about the challenges to consider as we think about Jesus' invitation to ask God who loves us and gives us good things, to challenge our understanding and our practice. And one of those is to begin to think about where's our loyalty, where's our trust going. Is it going into God or somewhere else? And so last week, we looked at a kind of strange parable. This was in verse 6 of chapter 7, where Jesus is speaking, and he says, Do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, then they may trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. And so last week, I connected that with the passage that went before about judgment, about we're not judging others, and so we use our words and we think about some people are ready to receive words, and so we have to give them the right words, otherwise they can tear on us. But I was reading something this week and by a scholar, and he kind of challenged me to think about maybe this story, these words, go with this passage instead. And so as we look at this, he talks about dogs and pigs, and these were common words used. The Jewish people would use dogs to describe the Gentile nations. Not individuals, but the nations around them, and pigs were a way they described the Roman Empire. And so what he's getting at is in some sense this idea of, are we asking the wrong people to provide for us? And the language that's used in that parable about being trampled underfoot, Jesus used earlier in the Sermon on the Mount, when he said, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. And trampled underfoot is this language of compromise, of of losing our discipleship, of putting our trust in the wrong places. And so what this scholar, Glenn Stassen, suggests is, and I think there's a good case for it, are we trusting in things other than to God to provide for us? And so here Jesus is making this case is, when you need something, ask God for it. And we like to think, well, that's what we do. But if you look back through history, these early Jewish leaders They sought out power, they sought out comfort, they sought out things, and oftentimes what they did was they turned to the Roman authorities for that. They compromised, they put aside their ideals and their things so that they could have security, and they turned to Rome rather than God. And Eugene Peterson suggests three ways we commonly try and improve ourselves in the world. Three places we put our trust, knowledge, power, and wealth. We think about the ways that sometimes We try and engineer the world. We try and get good things out of the world. And we seek for answers in those places. We make an assessment of what would improve the situation. We look around and say, well, how can this situation be better? And often what we do is we think, well, the situation would be better if we had one of three things. More knowledge, more power, or more wealth. And we begin there. In other words... What Peterson is getting at is we think the problems of the world are ignorance, weakness, and poverty. And we try and solve those problems through schools and politics and medicine and business and the courts. And this has been the case in much of church history. Now, this isn't to suggest that those are not good things. It's not to say that the schools aren't a good place. The politics doesn't have a place in our life. That medicine and business and the courts can't play a role in making the world a better place. But what has happened too often is that the church has turned to these other places. These other sources to try and get what only God can provide. They've sought out security and prestige and power and they've turned to the state, the nation. It goes back the very beginning to Constantine and then Charlemagne and the Holy Roman Empire, the European church state, the Nazis during World War II, the church in America here, where we begin, we look and we say, oh, if we have politics, if we were just in the right place in terms of power, we could solve the problems of our country. And again, hear me carefully. There is a role, there is a place for politics and political activism and all these things to make a difference in the world that we have. But sometimes the church gets things flipped around. And it begins to trust in the power of the political process. It begins, begins to trust in the power of education. If we just taught people the right things, everybody think would be all right. You ever heard that? Well, we, we just people are just ignorant. They don't know what's going on. And So if we just taught everybody the right things, if they just knew the right answers, then they would behave properly. We just posted the Ten Commandments everywhere. Everyone would listen to them. I encourage you to read your Old Testament, this first entire two-thirds of our Bible, because there was a nation called Israel, the people of God, and God came down on a mountain and with his finger wrote a set of laws and handed it to them and said, here, live by this. Do you think the people knew what the right thing to do was? They had it written by the finger of God. So how did that work out for them? But we keep falling into that same error. We just think if everybody knew the right thing to do, if we could just teach everybody enough, and even we do it in the church sometimes, we just begin to believe like if we just had one more Bible study, if we had one more lesson, if I read one more book, then my life would be working out. And what Jesus is getting at here and what the quotes from Peterson and Stassen get to is sometimes we flip that around and we begin to put our trust our loyalty, our hope in those things to fix the problems instead of looking to God. Now God may use those things and those may be a part of it, but what he's getting at is the question of, are we turning to those first? And Jesus is inviting us, he's saying, he's calling us to change hearts and minds with his message. But we cheat ourselves. We trust in the state's inferior and transitory power instead of the almighty God. We trust in all these other things and believe that we can do it by our own strength. We read that passage earlier from Deuteronomy chapter 9, right before the offering, where God is looking at the people of Israel. They've been brought out of slavery. They've experienced this incredible power of God. The seas have been parted. The nations have been defeated. They're getting ready to go into this land of promise that God has given to them. And God warns them at that point through Moses. He says, there's going to be a temptation. The temptation is you're going to enter into this land that I've given you and begin to think, look at what I did. And I think that's what Jesus is getting at here is there's a temptation so often to turn to our own power, our own devices, our own wisdom. And what Jesus is saying, he's saying, when you need something, When something's not going right, when you see something in the world around you, when you see something inside of yourself, when you see something in your family, in your relationships, with your finances, with the schools, whatever it is, the first thing to do is ask, seek, and knock. Then our loyalty, our trust has to be in God to change those things. Not in all these other things that are out there. Now, I'm not suggesting people are praying to schools or praying to politicians, praying to the government. But the question is what Jesus is challenging is to know that God knows and gives good gifts. But if we turn and put our trust in other things, if we put our, they're going to turn and destroy us. So that parable of, well, if we put our sacred things, if we put our hopes in the empire, if we put our hopes in the power, he says only those things are going to turn on us and destroy us. In my readings of church history, this has consistently happened. When the church has turned and put its trust and hope in things other than in God, when it's begun to use particularly the political process, but also the educational system and the courts and the systems, when it's turned on those things, what's happened is those things have turned on the church and begun to destroy and tear the church apart. And so what Jesus is saying is, when he's saying this here, he's saying, when you have a problem... We sang the song earlier. Have you sorrows and temptations? You know, burdens too heavy to bear. Well, what did the song encourage us to do? Take it where? To the Lord in prayer. And so what he's getting at is this picture of this is what God is. A, Jesus is inviting us to do. And what he's saying is, it's not a bothersome to God. Sometimes we think, well, you know, God's really busy. He's maintaining the whole universe. And there's millions and I mean, there's billions of people maybe praying to God right now. God doesn't have time to listen. Because sometimes we have a reduced picture of what God is like. Because I'm sure some of you have had this experience where maybe you're having an issue with a product. Or you're having an issue with a bill. And you call a company to try and get some help. And an hour and a half later. We value your customer. We value you as your customer. Please wait. You will be, you know. And so there's this language of like, oh. And sometimes we think God is like that. We're thinking, oh. Well, God, I got this thing going on. But I know you're dealing with a war in Ukraine. And there's this problems in Gaza. And there's people starving. And there's, there's people tracked in human trafficking. And, and there's divorces going on. And people in addiction. So I'm not going to bother you right now. Maybe I'll just call my local center. Maybe I'll, I'll try and fix something through the schools. Maybe I'll try and fix it through the courts or, or through engineering or science. And Jesus is saying, don't do that. He said, if you've got something going on in your life, if you've got some problem, if you've got some issue, go to God and ask him. You're not bothering God when you ask. And I know sometimes I feel like that. I was like, oh, God, I, you know, I know I asked you for something last week, but I got something else going on here. Because sometimes maybe I'm that kind of, I was like, well, you know, God helped me out last time, so maybe this time when I ask bread, he's going to give me a rock. Or I'm going to ask some fish, and he's going to give me a snake, or he's going to say, sorry, I'm all out today. But what Jesus is reminding us, here's God. What, what's God like? He, he's a good God. He's a gracious God. He's a loving God, a generous God who invites us and wants us to come and ask him. Which makes him far better than me as a parent because I know sometimes for me, after a while, if my kids ask asking me for things, I'm like, I don't want to, don't ask anymore. Ask your mom. But does God do that? God say, i ah, sorry, you know, you've asked me to, but just go ask somebody else. Now God says, come and ask me. Seek me out. Knock on the door and ask. And so it's this incredible way that Jesus is motivating us. He's encouraging us because that's really the question. He's saying, I want you to come and to ask me. So maybe the other question that we've asked is, well, because we, we know God knows everything. So if God knows what we need, why ask? And I like what one writer said. He said, some gifts are surprises, but often gifts come as a result of asking. He said, some gifts are surprises, but often gifts come as a result of asking. It's a relationship. And I think that in some way, if you have a relationship with somebody, there's something joyful about somebody coming and asking you for something and being able to help them. And so God's inviting us into this relationship. And I think the deeper thing is that in some way that God interacts in prayer such that the universe is changed because of prayer. I believe this that God is saying that the world can be a different place because you pray, but you have to ask. He's inviting us to get to that point. And I know there's still challenges that remain. You know, if God is good, which I've been trying to argue here, and wants to answer our prayers, why do I have so many that are unanswered? And honestly, I don't think, I've read numerous books on the topic, read articles and stuff. I don't think any of the answers that people have come up with yet get to the heart, really solve the problems. But all of them speak to this yearning we have because we all want God to act. We all want God to change things. We want God to heal, to bring justice. And it can be discouraging. It can be discouraging when we pray, when we're asking and asking, and it feels like God's not listening. And Jesus, in part, what he's doing is here is saying, I want you to hear these words. That God desires to give you good things. He's encouraging us to continue to trust. He's encouraging us to simply, not simply know that God is good. He doesn't want us to just think and affirm that God is good, but he wants us to really, truly believe it deep down inside that God is good. And so that's the call. That's our invitation. That we have a good God, a gracious God, a loving Father. And so he's saying bring your burdens to him, your cares your worries, all that you have, come and give them to God in trust and in hope. That's the invitation Jesus gives us. So may we be that kind of people, a people who know deep down in our core that God is good and go and ask him and see what God will do. Amen.